with Dr. Diaz, who we were just talking, and now I'm going to, because I read the text you sent me, but what is it that you're the, uh, I'm going to have you introduce yourself, but what is the, the World Peace Ambassador for the World Peace, what, what was that, that title? Well, uh, Tommy, first of all, thank you so much for having me on. Yes, sir. And uh, yes, I'm the, the, the delegate of the World Organization for Peace. I am the delegate on the border between Mexico and the United States. So I pretty much take care of, of the issues uh, when it comes to uh, the organization in the border between the USA and Mexico. Beautiful. And sorry, I just had to, probably should have asked you that beforehand when we were just chatting. But everything else, introduce yourself. You, you are Dr. Diaz. You're in El Paso. You grew up for virtually all of your life in Mexico. What else am I leaving out? Yeah, yes, I mean, so basically, uh, yes, I was born and raised in Mexico for virtually all of my life. I'm a, I'm a physician. I'm a doctor. I went to medical school in Guadalajara many, many years ago. And then after a gap of almost 10 years, because after my, my, both of my parents, unfortunately, they passed away, I took care of my family, of my uh, uh, younger brothers, and uh, the business. I did that for 10 years. And then I started pediatrics. And then allergy and clinical immunology. I did some training in Belgium in uh, pediatric gastroenterology. After that, uh, I started working for the U.S. Department of State, the U.S. Embassy, the U.S. Um, uh, consulate in Ciudad Juarez, which is the largest consulate in the world, in the world, right here in Juarez, and uh, basically uh, doing panel physician work. So what panel physician work is, is that we take care of all the immigration coming from Mexico to the United States. So basically immigration, it's divided in, uh, in two. Number one, it's authorized immigrants. And the other group, it's unauthorized immigrants. That's the, uh, the way, you know, uh, we refer to, to, to immigrants. So it's, uh, you know, legal or illegal, but it's more authorized, unauthorized. So we took care of all the authorized we're talking about roughly between 110 to 115,000 applicants a year. So we, we took care of everything that has to do with uh, chronic diseases, acute uh, communicable diseases like uh, tuberculosis, STDs, and obviously a very important component of immigration, which is mental health. So you have 10 minutes, Tommy, 10 minutes to take care of a very, very complex uh, uh, and a very, I like to say, a, a different way of practice medicine because in 10 minutes, you have to make a very complete assessment of a lot of things from, um, from an immigrant. And then uh, once they're clear from the panel physician, they can go to the U.S. consulate. Once they're there, it's a different process that it's more on the administration side but we take care of the sign, you know, the scientific part, the, the medical part. So uh, just to give you an overview of how it is, uh, there are 700, 745 panel physicians throughout the world. Uh, I am one of them in Mexico. We're just uh, less than six panel physicians in Mexico. Um, so out of the million immigrants coming authorized every year, to the United States, 600,000 of those immigrants, they are taking care of the panel from the panel physician program, which is in, you know, many countries in the world. 
The other, the, the 400,000 rest of the million, they uh, go through a process here in the United States that it's called adjustment of status. And it's taking care uh, of uh, what they call civil surgeons. Those are uh, U.S. licensed practicing physicians in the United States, and they take care of all this uh, adjustment of status people that they got into the United States with uh, one of the many, many, many kinds of visas. There are roughly about 26 kinds of visas. Once they're here, they do an administrative process to become permanent uh, residents. But can you imagine 600,000 applicants seeing about 754 and 45, I'm sorry, 745 panel physicians and 400,000 seen by 5,000 uh, civil surgeons. So I, I really think there's a, a great disparity on that. I don't know what you think about that, but it's a, it's interesting. It's very interesting. Good Lord. Yeah. Is that, <laughs> is, now, is this like a direct descendant from like those old pictures you see on Ellis Island where they'd come on, wouldn't they like, they draw like circles or something on people and it was like they could go in. I remember that from like a, like a middle school documentary. Is it, is it, weren't they check for a handful of diseases or something from definitely, definitely. And, and I'm glad you mentioned that um, um, Tommy, because that was the beginning of the panel physician work of immigration work and global health uh, community. But that was obviously back in the day. Now it's very sophisticated. You know, we have uh, a lot of uh, great tools to try to do the best work because let's face it, when we talk about immigration, we talk about everything. There's there's not a single aspect of life that it's not part of immigration. You have uh, economy, you have um, a culture, you have, uh, you know, something very important, extremely important, which is national security. Yeah. It's a matter of safety. It's a matter of security. So you have a lot of different things. And uh, so it got very sophisticated and very, uh, it's a very well done uh, work. But, you know, it's, I'm just trying to make the difference that uh, 400,000 immigrants seen by 5,000 civil surgeons in the U.S. and 600,000 immigrants only seen by 745 physicians throughout the world. Oh my God, there's yeah. a lot of, a lot of, uh, things still to do there. Yeah, that it does seem to be quite the disparity. But yeah, I was gonna say it's probably it was probably my ancestors that were into those Ellis Island Ellis uh, Ellis Island pictures. I mean, I'm I'm Irish, so I mean, at some point my my dirty Irish ancestors were coming over here, and I'm sure they were getting checked out. But um, to go back to what you're saying, uh, checking for all the different communicable diseases, I figured that's probably pretty run of the mill. I had never once thought about mental health. I, I can't believe that as someone that uh, you and I talked a little bit, a little bit before this, someone that, as somebody that was pre-med, got into medical school, I lost a sibling to suicide in 2014. I understand mental health. I've, I've suffered, that, thank you, sir. I've, I've suffered it myself as, as we all have. Um, I just, it's kind of, I'm kind of embarrassed. I had never dawned on me. Now, is it for, not to, you know, make light of it, not to joke about it, but is it for like overt mental illness? Like this is someone who's like a paranoid schizophrenic or are they 
like you and I are talking now, you have quote unquote known me for what, 25 minutes. If you talk to me every day for a month, you might see like, oh, there's some chronic anxiety there. There's some still waves of depression. But overall, he seems like he's got his head on right. Is it for something that is very overt? Like you see someone that within two minutes of talking to them, it's this person is harmful to themselves and others. Or is there something you go in deeper and are could you be rejected for simple depression or or you know chronic anxiety? Very, very interesting question, um, Tommy. And let me tell you that this is the beauty of of, of this uh, type of medicine that we practice because it's, it's very it's very complex. You really need to do a lot of work, a lot of study, a lot of courses here and there. And uh, like I said, you only have ten minutes. Ten minutes in ten minutes, you need to do so big of assessment that you have to come with the perfect and the right diagnosis because the question will be, would you like Mr. and Mrs. to be your neighbor? Mm -hmm. That will be the first question. And then after you answer that question, it's because you you make a very good uh, assessment and you figure it out if uh, the immigrant who is trying to come into the United States uh, has any sort of uh, tuberculosis, malaria, any STDs of any kind, you know, the catalog is immense. Uh, heart disease, heart conditions, uh, diabetes, obesity, so many things that eventually will impact society in the United States and obviously potentially also can be a burden for, for public health, you know, in terms of cost. And But mental health, it's a very, very, and I want to say probably the most important component Hmm. Of, of the immigration screening. So, you know, it's a very small window of time that you need to come with the right diagnosis, asking the right questions, looking at body language and so many other things that we learned through the years. And um, so, yeah, it, it's a fascinating, it's a fascinating work. That's so 10 minutes. Now, ten minutes. I would have to, and maybe I'm wrong, I would have to assume a lot of those things are checked by, I don't know, like like a kind of like an automated medical test, right? Like blood work or is it, you know, like a cheek swab or like all those diseases, right? You're like, you're not going through for each one of the, I feel like a lot of that you could maybe, I mean, obviously I'm not experienced in it because I don't do this, but I imagine there's some sort of way that could be streamlined, right? All the different diseases just, you know, it's almost like genetic sequencing or something. What, so if that is almost mechanized, what are what things are left to that 10 minute window for you to do what are the things that can't be done by the machine or the whatever well basically what we screen for it's a uh, well after a, a very uh, you know important questionnaire or you know the, the medical history you will get the information to see if there's some diabetes or chronic diseases or heart conditions or you know this and that for the other part we need to do tests or for, for example, for tuberculosis, we need to have a chest X-ray. If on the chest X-ray we see something that potentially can lead to the diagnosis of pulmonary tuberculosis, then he or she will go to the next phase, the following phase, which is a um, um, you know sputum collection, and then culture. Uh, and uh, you know, very sophisticated tests, so we can uh, we can see if there's active tuberculosis there. If there is active tuberculosis, 
you know, unfortunately, or, you know, for them, they cannot cross, they cannot go, they have to wait until we provide treatment and we can prove that they are tuberculosis free. So it, it's a very, I want to say it's a very um, complex and complete uh, medical examination and, and mental health evaluation. So we have uh, what we call three three type of classes, which is class A, class B, and no class. No class, everything gets okay. You're okay to go. You go to the next phase, which is more the administrative part. That's a different part from medicine. Class B, we found out uh, some things that it's okay for you to go, but you need to follow up once you're in the United States. And obviously, there's a lot of communication with the CDC, with the NIH, and so on and so forth. And class A, it's a no-no. You, you cannot go until we or you fix the problem. Mm. So it's very interesting. It, but can you imagine there are days, there are days that you see 800 applicants a day. That's why you have a very narrow window. Yeah. But, you know, definitely. Like, for example, here in, uh, in um, Ciudad Juarez, which is the, uh, the border with El Paso, where the large where is the largest consulate in the world is the u.s consulate in the world it's right here uh five miles from here and they process 99 percent of all the visas uh, all the mexican visas that are coming to the united states only one percent it's processes it's processed in mexico city and those are special visas, like you know, adoptions and uh, K visas, different different visas. Um, the challenge here, Tommy, is that can you believe there's there are only two clinics authorized in Juarez to process that huge amount of uh, applicants, and uh, you know they they basically they work like uh, like one clinic, so a little bit like a monopoly. Jeez. But you know that's that's a different story. Yeah, yeah. Um. So I was gonna ask. So like, as someone like right like myself, I'm 31, and I have known. As we were just talking about just before you, I interviewed that guy from Ukraine, and it makes you realize that you know we're in heaven, and you know luckily I had parents who beat that into me and made me realize like, hey, you you're living in America, but I mean private Catholic schools. I've never, you know, I've never haven't been able to go to the doctor. I've never missed a meal. I've never, you know, I have a college education. Uh, I, you know, uh, I have a car. I have my own apartment. I, I'm doing a podcast for a living. And although I work very hard, I'm also, the older I get, I'm becoming more aware with every passing day that, I mean, truly, I, I mean, I, this is the Garden of Eden. And maybe that's why I'm so apparent about having a big old American flag behind me because for all of the flaws of the United States, not only are we living a better life than the vast majority of people on the planet, I'm living a better life than the vast majority of people who've ever lived. So I I say all of this to kind of preface what I'm going to say now. So it's very difficult for me to, to, um, to hold an opinion. I mean, on one side, I can look at it from, like you said, the national security aspect. So you you have to if you if you don't have a border you don't have a defined country it's just what it is. 
Sorry. On the other hand, you know, and I can say that as somebody that loves Cold War history, I interview CIA guys. Um, you know, I, I love everything about the intelligence agencies and the community. I, I think that stuff's also cool. On the other hand, as the person that has grown up in the land of opportunity and sunshine and rainbows, I also do have a kind of personal setback in that I can't just look at the border and go, oh, illegal, you shouldn't be here. Yeah, I have friends that are legal immigrants from Bulgaria, from Kosovo, and yeah, they had to go through all the motions. But it's very easy for me to sit here and say, oh, you got to go do it legally. And then after this, I can call my parents who are retired. I can talk to my brothers. I can go to the gym. I can go to Walmart. And the reality is, is if I was in Mexico being torn apart by cartels and some guy who lives a perfect life in the United States told me, yeah, you can't be illegal. I'd probably hold up a middle finger and uh, I'd sprint across the border. I know for a fact I would do that. Why wouldn't I? It's me. It's a zero sum game. Do you, do you, is there any, so I say all of that to now say, is there any part of you that has any sort of guilt or heavy conscience about in in a very much real sense, you are a gatekeeper and is there any part of you that knows when you turn someone down, they're probably going to still find a way across? Is there, and I'm not coming at this with any agenda. I'm not coming at this from any angle. I hope I prefaced that question correctly. What What are your thoughts on that? What are your feelings on that? You, you're turning someone down if you have to by like, you know, the structure of the laws that you uphold. If I'm that person that gets turned down, I'm going to say, thank you, doc. And I'm, I'm going to find a way across that night. I, I got turned down by bars in college when I was 18. Thank you. I know. I understand. Yeah, I'm going through the back window in 30 seconds. Like, you know, I'm I'm not going to not go in and get drunk with all the hot girls, you know? Correct. So your thoughts on all that? Well, that's that's a, that's a <laughs> very, it's a, you know, Tommy, it's a very intelligent and very, very great question, actually. And, uh, you know, this is why this kind of work, it's, it's, uh, it's fascinating. And I've learned so much so much of, of, of the whole circle of life, what I call the 360 degree view, because when you get into, when you get into the world of immigration, you get into the whole world, man, you're actually looking at a larger window of different things. You can see anything you can imagine, imagine under the sun. Um, let me just uh, disclose this, that um, I stopped being a panel physician in 2016. Well, you never stopped being a panel physician. I was just I haven't been working sure. actively as a panel physician since 2016, but I did that for almost 13 years, and, and I learned a lot. And uh, you you do feel bad because you know it's it's out of your hands. You you need to do flawlessly your work. You have to do the right diagnosis. You have to put all of your effort and all of your knowledge socially, emotionally, and, and uh, obviously physically, and, and um, your knowledge as a doctor to become the best diagnosis, the better diagnosis, and then objectively do, okay, so we have this, and then you pass it on. It's up to them, you know, at the administrative, le- the administrative level, they will make the decision. So it's, it is it is hard, but you're also you're also able to help a lot of people because some you know it has been well I don't want to say thousands but hundreds and hundreds of times that people they didn't know they had this or that disease 
and you you make the diagnosis and you change their lives for good or for good. Even though if, if they cross or they don't cross or eventually they will cross, you already change a life and you change a family and you change a community. So it, it is it is very interesting and uh, you know uh, immigration it's a it's a worldwide phenomena. Immigration has been here since mankind. Yeah. And uh, that's exactly what we do. I'm an immigrant, so that's exactly what we do uh, for the last, uh, I want to say, ten thousand years. Yeah. And and um, so it's very it's a very interesting work. Yeah. I mean, yeah. No, I mean, truly, from the dawn of time, right? I mean, exactly. We're all exactly. Immig- yeah, we're all immigrants from Africa. We're also all probably the majority of us are immigrants from the Bering Strait. You know, if you've got any Native American in you, you're an immigrant. It's we all are. Yeah. So it's and I also yeah, I also have to frame it in like that historical, you know, not just like the, I was born in America. There's also that whole thing. It's like. I, I'm lucky enough to be born in the spot where I don't need to immigrate. Right. It's like, yeah, so you can't you can't really reject it. Um, so what, what got us in, in touch, actually, I completely forgot was uh, Dr. McCullough, that that wonderful man. And um Fantastic person, yeah, incredible. A, number a, one, number one. He's an angel. Yeah, you know he's the best. He is. Um, so I guess that is interesting. Then is how how was it affected? And I, I uh, if you stopped doing it in 2016, but how was it affected by a pandemic? I feel like that is just as the pandemic did with all aspects of life. It kind of just dumped gasoline and lit it on fire. Whether it be sports, the economy, the military, whatever. I can only imagine that that through a massive wrench into the works with, uh, with immigration. Well, it, it was a game changer, definitely. Uh, even though I'm not active right now doing that, but I've been consulting virtually all over the world on immigrant, on immigration things and, and global health uh, aspects. Uh, it, it was a game changer and it was basically the program was shut down for 16 months. Can you imagine that? It was because no one, understood exactly what was going on and uh, they, they didn't understand exactly the uh, the extension of the um, uh, potential of the harm of, of the COVID-19 SARS-CoV-2 and uh, they shut down the program. I mean, it was, it was very minimum, only like extremely urgent cases, but the vast majority of the worldwide immigration, it was, it was, it was put on hold. So, you know, like I was saying at the beginning of the conversation, there are there are one million immigrants coming every year to the United States. Every year. These are authorized immigrants. I'm not talking about the unauthorized or illegal. No, that's a different story. But one million. And so it's a, a large burden of activity and, and processes and, uh, you know, authorizations and administration and, and, and medical examinations and so on and so forth. So, yes, uh, the, the pandemic definitely affected everything and it changed a little bit or shifted a little bit uh, the, the way to see immigration now because, you know, just to put it in perspective, uh, from, I want to say, from 2020 to 2021, here on the border, the CBP, they put into custody 2 million, 2 million persons that they were trying to come in unauthorized. Can you imagine that, Tommy? Can you imagine 2 million people in 
uh, I want to say like 14 months. And they come, they're, they're coming from all over the world through the Northern Triangle, through the Mexican and Guatemala uh, border. And they need to cross 2,000 kilometers, either walking, running, chasing uh, on, on a ride, on a bus, on a plane, on a mule, on a mule or anything. And they suffer a lot. Do you know that a little bit over 80%, and this is terrible, terrible news and terrible data, up to 80% of little girls and women, they get raped during the process. No, sure. Of the walking from the Northern Triangle coming from Mexico, through Mexico and going to the United States. That's terrible. I mean, it's terrible. We're talking about uh, something that it will last for uh, generations. So we need to, when we talk about immigration, we need to put everything into perspective and to improve the process of all aspects, including medical, administration, um, everything that has to do with it. It's a commitment. It's a, it's a social commitment that we uh, as persons or people that uh, are um, involved in, in, in some decisions or, or have some knowledge, we need to get better at this. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah. I mean, it's also, we do it. I mean, it's the foundation of the United States. It's just, it's literally this entire melting pot. I mean, sure, I might look more quote unquote American because I'm a white guy with blue eyes, but no, I'm, I'm Irish. I'm 100% Irish. Uh, I'm an immigrant. It's just, it's been removed a couple generations, so it's easy to go, oh, I'm American. No, no, I'm an immigrant. I just, you know, I'm a white guy, so it's, I get a, I, you know, I get a pass, which is bullshit, but it's a pass, um, right? It's, it's but true. as a matter of fact, Tommy, everybody, we are, Im- we're all immigrants. Yeah, we're all coming from one place to the other place, and and uh, what we, what we have to understand is what are the sources, what are the, uh, um, um the genesis or the uh, the alpha of of immigration what are the causes yeah. what is pushing people to move from one place to the other yes better conditions yes better work more money more food on the table more of this more of that but something that i uh i really don't like at all is that someone has to move from point a where they have everything or at least they have their family to point b because of safety issues. That's a no-no, Tommy. We need to work on that. What do you, could you go into that? Like, mean, like for security purpose, the like, security, like, you know, people that they're, they're killing people in Salvador and Honduras and Nicaragua. They're uh, killing people in all those countries and they need to move because they cannot leave there, even in Mexico. You know, so, in some, so fleeing, some states. Fleeing, fleeing violence. You're fleeing violence, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and that's like another aspect. Like I look at my buddy uh, Ivan. Ivan, I hate Ivan. He's like six four, super handsome, he's from Bulgaria. <laughs> but he's a professional bodybuilder, right? And he he worked here for several years, green card. Eventually got a citizenship. My other friend, uh, Prince, from uh, Kosovo. Um, uh, you know, same thing. Green card, several years. Moved here, physical therapist now. And those are guys that I look at them. And they're probably the har- harshest critics of immigration because they had to work so hard to do it properly that, you know, when I sit here and I go, yeah, I can't really criticize illegal immigrants, they'll look at me and go, I can. They'll say they can, and I, they probably can. But 
there's also that base level. There's just that base. It's like, I guess I told you I've interviewed like tons of special forces guy, and this isn't anything new or novel to this podcast, but you hear it from, you know, world war one accounts all the way up to the modern day. As soon as the bullets start flying, politics goes out the window. You don't give a shit. They always tell me when they're de- when they're overseas fighting, they're not fighting the war. They're fighting for the guy to the right and the left of them so that they can wake up tomorrow. That's just what it is. So I look at something like if you're fleeing violence, you don't give a shit about tuberculosis. Your base primal instinct. I'm an American citizen. Correct. If America was just done for tomorrow and I had to go to Mexico at the risk of death, I'm not stopping to get approval. I'm just not. I'm just not. It just it sounds great. And when everything else is going well, we can sit here and go, well, you should go through the proper channels. But when it comes down to it, I mean, we are animals with adrenal glands. And when that fight or flight kicks in, I don't give a fuck about a boy. I'm I'm crossing from here to there. And if 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 the people behind me don't kill me, the Border Patrol is going to kill me. But I'm not stopping until I get to safety. That is, and I guess we could, you almost say, you could almost say that we're seeing it now with, I mean, Ukraine, right? Them fleeing to Poland and neighboring countries. Is You're there- absolutely right, Tommy. And that's exactly what happens every day. Yeah. Every day, that's exactly the same. If you talk to the people that come to the border, and because I have interviewed them in this period of time, I have interviewed them, you know, a mom, a, a, a 18-year-old mom with two kids, uh, uh, breastfeeding, but little one, no money, no nothing. They don't even speak Spanish. They're coming from Indian communities, from from native communities in Honduras, in Nicaragua, and in Mexico, and and they don't know what's going on. So obviously, they will take that route. They will yeah. do anything in their power to try to save their, their family. Obviously, as 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 a as a professional in in, I mean that that is true a hundred percent. And I am with you a thousand percent. On the other side of the token. Uh, as a professional, as a physician, panel physician, and immigration doctor, obviously I am pro and prone to an orderly immigration. Obviously, mm-hmm. definitely, you know, it's like like the, I, I like the example that you set up. I, I love the example of with your Kosovo friends and, and the Bulgarian friend, uh, uh, because like uh, you know, back in the day when you used to go to the Kiss concert, well, you're very young, so probably Pearl Jump, yeah, Pearl yeah. Jump concert, yeah. and you're on the you're on the line, and the, the, there's thousands of cars and you're there, you've been there for three hours to try to get to the stadium. And then all of a sudden, three blocks or one block before a guy's tried to get in, you get probably you're gonna say no. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So that's that's pretty much the um that's pretty much the yeah, uh no, that's the perfect feeling yeah. of, of people that they need to wait for that long line. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that and that's not to you know it's not to make light and say that, you know, like Ivan grew up in Bulgaria, you know, one, one, one room apartment with his family in the, you know, former Soviet prince, prince grew up in a war zone, Kosovo and Serbia. You know, his dad was a journalist and his dad had his legs and arms broken by the Serbs because he was, you know, thank God survived, but that's not to make light of their situation. I mean, clearly they're coming here for a better life and you do, yeah, you have to, it has to be orderly. You have to have some semblance of civilization, but uh, man, at the same time, it's like, I mean, you're you're fleeing like a cartel 
you know, a, a place that's being literally and metaphorically raped by cartels, beheadings, just hanging bodies from, you know, is, is this, is this Baghdad or is this, you know, is this Mexico? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Look at one of those people with a straight face and tell them you need to go through the proper channels. I'd, I'd, I'd probably strangle some with my own hands. Right. It, it's now, is there like a certain level, I guess, on like just mass statistics? Do you almost have to just accept that a certain number, it's just not going to be an orderly thing? It's just that's that's the re- that's the realism of it, right? Is a certain number of people are just when you're dealing with a million immigrants. You know, I've done this is episode 758. Once you once you get into the hundreds, you have to realize that not every episode's great. Sometimes the guest sucks. Sometimes I suck. Sometimes I don't bring my A game, you know, sometimes it, and you just accept it. And it's not to say that you don't work harder and try to get even better at it. But there's also a, a certain moment where you go, it, you can't have all of them be great. It just, you can't. So when dealing with these massive numbers, even when doing your best to do it in an orderly fashion, is there a certain... I guess, leeway, a certain margin of error where you just understand, you know, some people are just going to run across the border or some people are going to slip through your own fingers. Is there like a level of, is there an acceptable margin of error? Yeah, well, I don't want to say an acceptable margin of error because when you get into this, you get into deep into the detail and you try to do your best and everything. But but definitely there will be a lot of, a lot of, uh, uh, you know, large number of people that they cannot go through the to the legal or authorized process and they will try to just flee to the United States sure. at any cost at any cost just exactly as, as as you explained uh but it's you know it's very this is this is very tough it, it's it's difficult we see it every day we see it here on the border um you know we we share a large amount of uh, thousands of miles between Mexico and the United States and and uh, you see it everywhere Everywhere and people from all over the world, from Haiti, from Cuba, Nicaragua, El Salvador, from Asia, from Southeast Asia, from uh, Uganda, from Mozambique, you know, Central Africa, every everywhere, and obviously, you know, coming a little bit more to the to the medical aspect. Well, they're coming from conflict areas and difficult zones, and and there were there's uh, uh, poor nutrition, uh, limit or no access to healthcare. And they have diseases. They have uh, communicable diseases, like uh, from varicella to uh, you name it. You know, the, the, the catalog is it's a very it's very wide. So I, I really think we need to strengthen that that area of uh, of uh, of the medical aspect because it's important. You know, it's a matter of national security also as well. There's also, and I look at this, and you know, I look at this very loosely, but. It's also like that, uh, right? It's that cycle of, you know, you're grown up, you grow up poor and you work your ass off and you become a Carnegie or whatever or, or a Vanderbilt, right? And you become that guy that built his empire. And then you have the sons and the, you know, they take it, they might take it to the next level. They're not going to be as like bloodthirsty as you, but they're going to take it to the next level. And then you have like the grandkids and then the great grand, And eventually you get to like, the trust fund babies who with private jets doing cocaine and they're in rehab by 16 and it's like these pigs, right? 
the kind of beautiful thing about America, and this is how I've always viewed immigration, is like it's good because we're constantly going through cycles of spoiled brats, right? I would like to think I'm a hard worker. I like to think my brothers are hard workers, although my dad's successful. My dad grew up not successful at all, very poor, but he is probably one of the few that was able to also instill that work ethic in us. I can only imagine that if I, let's say, somehow made a million dollars, a hundred million dollars, it's probably not going to be too many generations till my grandkids are brats. Now, if you have that happen at a national level, that the whole country collapses. But because the U.S. has this constant flow of immigrants, whenever a, a generation of guys like me gets fat and happy and spoiled, it's great because we have guys from Bulgaria, Kosovo, and Mexico coming in and they're hungry to build their own empire. And by the time that cycle runs through, my ancestors will probably be poor and they'll be hungry. So on a very almost, not to make light of it, but kind of making light of it, that's the beauty of immigration in my mind is it's constantly replenishing America with hungry people. I mean, literally and figuratively, hungry people who want to go to medical school, want to become lawyers, who want to become entrepreneurs who want to become business tycoons. And to me, that's probably like the best model of like a nation state is to have this place where people flee to. And you have the opportunity for America for all of its flaws. If you have the opportunity, you can get the house on the golf course with the Lamborghini. You can go after it. And because that that trophy is there, people will always be yearning to get here. And I know I'm making very light of it. We're not talking about death and destruction, but um, I don't think there was really a question in there. I think I was just kind of stating an idea I had, but. Um, no, but you're, you're absolutely right. That's exactly what happens. And it has been happening for the last century. Uh, you see people from the Philippines, from India, from um, Kazakhstan, from Mexico, from you name it, and they want to come here to to the promised land, to the yeah. the land of opportunities, the land the land of uh, of freedom, and uh, and then definitely, you know, I agree with you. This is a beautiful, this is a great country. This is a great country, but they're they're they also have beautiful countries. Sure. They also have great countries with great culture, with you know great things. But unfortunately, unfortunately, they don't they don't see the opportunities for them to to bloom with their families and do their things because there's a lot of corruption. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of corruption in those countries, and and they need to leave because there's there's no way for them to stay there. There's no there's no way to for them to make a living, and they need to come to a um, a country like the United States that that. Uh, will give you all these opportunities to do exactly what you just said. So you see all the, the best doctors are from, from India, from Philippines, from Mexico, neurosurgeons from, you name it. And it's, it's incredible. You see that. And, uh, and, and then you ask the question, why this so intelligent people, person, why he didn't do it, why he couldn't do it in, in, in his country? Why? There's no conditions. Yeah. There are no conditions for them to, to, to do what they can do here. Yeah. You know, people from, they're coming from China, from virtually anywhere. You know, the number one importer of immigrants in the world is the United States. Yeah. Yeah. You know, which country is the number one exporter of immigrants? China? Yes. India? Mexico. Mexico. Ah, I got it. <laughs> it's Mexico, number one. Number yeah. one. Both authorized 
and unauthorized for obvious reasons. We're just like this. We're close. Sure. We're, we, we share a border. Well, yeah. So, but it's interesting. And but you touch a very sensitive aspect of immigration of all the three six three hundred uh, degree view, which is the uh, sociological. Yeah. The sociological aspect of immigration. It's incredible. We can we can be here for weeks talking about only that aspect. And probably we don't get a conclusion. Yeah. It's so deep. It's so complex. There's so many things that take place. Uh, and uh, this is why immigration and everything that has to do with that, it's so, it's fascinating. It's fascinating. We need more people um, that is uh, interested in this so we can help more. We can do better things. But also countries, you know, that they're, they have the means, they have the, the power, they have the money to push those countries like Mexico, Nicaragua, El Salvador, Honduras, Guatemala, etc., um, to to try to you know find a way how they can help to improve their conditions and their and their uh, situation, so people they don't need to leave their countries and they can they can bloom they can bloom their societies in their countries. One good example, Tommy. I don't know if you have been uh, uh, following, and he's a young, intelligent guy like you, uh, the president of El Salvador. No. Oh, my God. Follow that guy. He's amazing. His name is Najib Bukele or Bukele. He's originally, he, uh, their parents and their family, his family come from, uh, I think they're from Palestina, from Palestine, Palestine. But he's a president. He's, how old are you, Tommy? 31. He's 34. What's he's his... the president. He's changing. What's his he's name? He's changing. Najib Bukele. Which country is it? El Salvador. El Salvador. Uh huh. I'm gonna. I'll, I'll get. I'll get. I'll get you an interview with him. Get, I was about to say. Do you think you could get him? <laughs> Let me work on that. Najib Bukele. Bukele. Yeah. N-A-Y-B-U-K-E-L-E. Yes, sir. I'm. I'm gonna try to get him on here. If you could help me, that would be awesome. But I'm gonna try to get him. I'll, I'll definitely. I'll definitely look. You know, I'll, I'll definitely do that. And uh, but he's changing everything. You know, they had. They used to have one. It used to be considered top five most dangerous countries in the world. Yeah. Because they have the Mara Salvatrucha right there. But this guy, a millennial, that had a different idea, and he worked his way up to be the president of his country. Just a small country, a little bit less than eight million population, but he just boom, he switched everything, and he's he has the first uh, he has the first uh, city that it's one hundred percent one hundred percent based on uh, uh, cryptocurrency. Can you believe? Oh, that? that's that's badass. It's incredible. So yeah. this guy, he's doing he's doing great things. So basically, the uh, the message here is that we can do it. Tommy, it's just a matter of will. Yeah. Yeah. If we can dream it, we can do it. It's a matter of will. So it's a matter of coming together, bringing things together, and uh, just, uh, you know, uh, create the, a new way of uh, making society. I mean, I guess I could look at like my own experience with quote unquote immigration. My, my first, I was not a good student in, in high school. And I went to a tiny school in South Georgia called Valdosta, Valdosta, Georgia, which is a tiny uh, college. And I went there. And after goofing off my freshman year and being a terrible student, 
uh, I kind of kicked it into high gear my sophomore year. Stopped drinking, stopped smoking pot, started studying all the time. And there was a limited number of slots for people from all over Georgia to, quote unquote, immigrate, transfer to the University of Georgia. There's the wow. University of Georgia. There's Georgia Tech. There's Emory. Those are like the three like respectable schools in Georgia. I wanted to go to the University of Georgia. And you might ask, like you said, you know, if, if you could be a 4.0 student, why not do it from Valdosta? Why not do it from India? Because there's only so much I could do. Once I aced all my classes, there was no, there was no opportunity to do research or to, you know, learn under better professors. And if I could go to the University of Georgia, I challenged myself further, did better there, and I got into medical school from there. And you could argue, again, well, how come you couldn't do it from Valdosta? Because the conditions weren't perfect. I kind of, I maxed it out. There's only so much I could do. And I wanted to be the best thing I could be. And so I went to UGA. That's kind of how I view the, the, the brilliant doctors from India or China or Mexico or wherever. It's not that they don't love, I've I had great friends in Valdosta. I had a great time there. It's not that you don't love it, but ultimately you're looking out for yourself. It's a, you have to, that's, that's just, that's not a selfish thing. You're just looking out for yourself. You have to move to where there are better conditions. And I know it's a, it's a light analogy because it's, you know, it's still first world country. But to me, that's just like my own little quote unquote example with immigration. And even then, despite being a straight, straight A student, like I was, I had, I had a lot of friends that were pre-med who also went to like private Catholic high schools like I did, right? Had nothing but opportunity. Out of all the friends I had at UGA, the two that consistently scored better than me in everything I did, no matter how hard I studied. I mean, I, I genuinely scored in the top one percentile of everything I did. Was Sungyup, first generation immigrant from Korea, and wow. Obi, first generation uh, immigrant from, I think, Congo. And to me, that's always kind of been one of the lasting impressions of immigration in my mind was like, here are these guys. I thought I worked hard. These guys worked and they had jobs and they were doing and they got into like Harvard and Hopkins. And I was like, here are some guys that blew my doors off in like the pre-med race while holding down jobs. And I think one of them even had a kid. And that wow. to me has been like the lasting impression of of immigration in my mind is like, dude, you can't argue that they are not adding to society adding more than I did. They scored higher on this test than I did. And again, not really sure if there's a question in there, but that's just one thing I always remember. I think of Prince and Ivan from Eastern Europe, and I think of Sungyup and Obi from Africa and South Korea, and how they are all the hardest workers I've met. I mean, genuinely, the hardest workers. And I don't think it's coincidence that the four immigrant friends I have are the four hardest working people I know. And yeah, again, not really amazing. sure if there's a question. That's amazing. There, Are you still in touch with them? Yeah, with Ivan and Prince, I am. Haven't talked to Obi, and I talked to Sonya up every once in a while. Haven't talked to Obi. I remember Obi o Obi interviewed at the University of Miami, where I interviewed for medical school. I remember we were both there and we were talking, and I was so excited because it was my first interview, and he was acting all like nonchalant, just kind of like cool. And I was like, "Man, you're you're," and I was like, "You're you don't really give a shit." I was like, "You're playing it cool." <laughs> 
And he was like, it's not that, man. He was like, he was like, I interviewed at like Harvard last week and I'm going to Hopkins next week. He's like, I just, I got too many things on my mind. I was like, it's like, you motherfucker. <laughs> like you, you have every option in the world. He was just killing it. And I was, wow. but again, to me, it's like, you know, it, you know, both their parents, you know, barely spoke English. And it was just like, oh, these are the people that are, it's not just some feel good story. Like they're coming here and they're day laborers. And it's like, no, they're, they're out schooling me and, 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 and I'm a cocky bastard. And so that's kind of my takeaway from it is like, you constantly have to replenish the, the well of the pool of, of hardworking people. And I think that's what makes America, America. Um, definitely, de de definitely. I agree with you 100%, and Tommy. And uh, it's it's funny that you mentioned the University of Miami, uh, and we're talking about also about immigration. Can you guess? Can you guess who the president of the University of Miami is, and where is he from? The number one guy, top number one of Miami University. Yes, sir. I don't. I. I, I, he's from Mexico. He's from Mexico. Of course he is. He's yeah. a doctor. Yeah. His name is his name is Julio Frank. Yeah. He used to be the Secretary of Health in Mexico like four administrations ago. Look who's there. And but in and, and he was coming from being the dean of public health at Harvard. <laughs> a Mexican guy. Yeah. So can you imagine? So basically, I, I agree with you. You know, these are talented, gifted people that uh, they want to do their best. They want to do their best and they want to bring their best um, to, to this beautiful country, this beautiful society. And uh, it's just a matter of putting the effort together and do the right things. I, I, I think, you know, and, and, and the other thing, it's, uh, I don't know what's your position on that, uh, Tommy, what's your take on that? But the other thing, it's values. Values are very important. We need to keep those values. I have four boys, mm -hmm. four boys. My oldest, 26, my youngest, 12. And, uh, you know, if I if I want to leave them something, it's the example of values. Yeah. That's that's one of my my main goals. You know, I don't want I don't want probably I'm not going to leave a, a, a big check for them or something. But just but just values, values, understanding and. And uh, just being good person, good good people, yeah. help each other, help people, try to do something for your for your community, yeah. and uh, that you know that's that will be that will be something that uh, that will make uh, put a smile on my face once I I, I, I live this world. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I have I have I have three brothers, and yeah, it's same thing. I I don't think the old man's leaving us a big check, but I do think that he raised us correct. At least I was, I'm a little biased because I'm me. I'm not going to say I was raised incorrectly, but <laughs> yeah, same, same thing. Um, kind of on a, on a closing note, and this is a kind of out of left field, but I was just thinking this is, this is going to sound like I'm sponsored by like Raytheon or Lockheed Martin or something. I'm not, I wish I was, but when you see this, this beautiful place, the United States, you know, protected by two oceans, protected by a frozen wasteland up north where you can only really only shoot missiles over. You can't really invade. I mean, truly, like in this little pocket that seems like it was handed by God and a place where people from all over the world strive to come. Obi, Sunyup, Prince, Ivan, the president of the University of Miami. 
yourself. Alex. Yeah, yes. Alex. Elon Musk, <laughs> right? I mean, a, exactly. an immigrant, right? Exactly. It is this perfect place where, for all of its flaws, people come here and truly do, I mean, just conquer conquer what can't be done anywhere else in the world. The rest of the world is not, it's not sunshine and rainbows, be it cartels in South America, be it just eternal terrorism in the Middle East, be it a totalitarian, technocratic, communist dictatorship in China, be it an oligarchical, authoritarian Russia, be it the kind of stripped down Soviet bloc nations, be it war-torn Africa. I mean, it really is it's something special here. And although everything we're talking about is a feel-good, inspirational, feel-good and inspiration doesn't doesn't win in a in a war and i say all that to say to me that's kind of like the justification for like the size of the u.s military when people say it's it's ridiculously huge it's it's the military industrial complex yes there's truth in all of that but i look at a very simplified childish view of it it's behind that wall of overwhelming military force that this Garden of Eden is able to exist. Do you have any thoughts or opinions on that? I know in general the U.S. military kind of gets a bad rap. We're just invading everyone. We're blowing everything up. On the other hand, you know, the reason why cartels aren't here, the reason why ISIS isn't here, the reason why China wouldn't dare invade is because it's instant death. And to me, there's, granted, again, I'm biased. What are your thoughts on if someone, you know, who grew up here like me, if they said, you know, our military is too big, is what are your opinions on that? Do you look at it as, hey, I've seen hell, and yeah, you need to defend this place, it's heaven. You need to defend it from hell. Or or have I just been successfully brainwashed by American media? Am I waving the flag and we don't need all this? And I just thought of that's really nothing I've ever thought of before in terms of immigration. But I figure if I have you here, there's no right or wrong answer. Well, uh, Tommy, let me tell you that this is a very, very complex uh statement or yeah. statement or, or, or question extremely complex and obviously probably I'm not the right person to answer that for for different reasons what I can tell you what I can tell you Tommy is that uh, imagine that you are in a gold mine and you being uh, that you have all this gold and everything there and it's precious because you also have your family and you have yeah. something beautiful there. You want to protect that. And I really think that's exactly what the United States has been doing and he's been doing tremendously well because they're they're protecting their gold mine. And, and I'm not talking about the gold specifically, but in the philosophical way of thinking about something precious. It's their people, their culture, their everything. That's why, and I think why, they uh, they have grown so much in, in the military and, and they have all this 
you know, all these tools to defend their uh, their beautiful country. And uh, so that that will be my answer to that very very complex, yeah, I, very I, complex uh, I, I threw a, <laughs> uh, question. I threw a but real, it's, uh, just they're just protecting something beautiful. Yeah, I threw a real Rubik's cube of a question at you, and that's uh, no, I think that's probably about as good as an answer as you can get. I mean, for but if you, but if you uh, Tommy, I'm sorry, but if you if you wouldn't ask me, and probably I'm, I'm making this question for me, is that what will be Alex, what will be your your best advice when it comes to the world in terms to try to get a better world? Yes. I will tell you definitely from the bottom of my heart and a lot of years of experience traveling the world and talking to people of different of different cultures, different religions and everything. Um we all want one thing. We want peace. We want to we want to uh, live good. We want to protect our family. So that one issue will be values, Tommy. Let's invest in values. Values will last forever. Will last forever if we invest it at the right time, the right place, and the right values. That will be something that can definitely um, um, create uh, hope. That's what we need. People, you know, after this pandemic, after what happened, um, that a little bit, uh, I want to say the number, it's a little bit close to 500 million people got infected with COVID. Up to date, 6.1 million people died of COVID. We haven't seen this in 100 years since the Spanish flu, but I have it right here. A good book, by the way. Pandemic nineteen eighty. I recommend I recommend you this book. Um, it's good. So, I, I listen. Yeah, I listen to an audio book every week, so I will yeah. listen to it. Yeah, I'll send it to you. I'll 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 send it to you. The uh, the name and everything. It's a, it's a great book. Um, so we haven't lived something like this in a hundred years. We didn't have experience. We didn't have any nothing close to what happened on, on 1918 yeah. to 1920. So, uh, you know, we suffer a lot. We suffer in all aspects of life, socially, um, health, death, fear, um, economics, everything, everything. So I think we learned a lot. We learned a lot and we're ready to face the new challenges that are coming to our lives, because this is, I can guarantee you, this is not the last. No. We will see more things. And we, uh, um, we learned a lot of things. We need to come together as a society. We need to be better human beings. We need to be better doctors, better, better people to try to help as much as we can to our, our communities and be a better society. That, that will be, a little bit of my overview with uh, with what's going on. Unfortunately, we we are facing one of the you know a very sad confrontation in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. People in Ukraine they're suffering. A lot of um, a lot of people, kids included, and then uh, you know uh, innocent people are dying every day. And at the end of the day, what we need to we want to to push is to have peace. Yeah. 
as much as we can. Yeah. Dr. Diaz for president. <laughs> I'll, vote, I'll vote for you. I'll vote for you. I'll, I'll, I'll run on that ticket with you. Yeah. So, so you know, uh, Tommy, so, so many things, so many things that are going on in our lives. And, uh, you know, this pandemic really, really, uh, you know, shook everything that has to do with society. Uh, uh, and uh, we haven't seen anything yet, unfortunately. You know, the uh, the um, the outcome of this, we we we're only watching the the tip of the iceberg. Yeah. You know, in terms of uh, specifically in terms of mental health. You know, there's there there are some things, unfortunately, coming of uh, for for what happened for two years. Uh, oh, with yeah. the mask oh, yeah. and, uh, you know, people of the, you know, staying at home and not socializing and everything, eventually that will come up. Oh, yeah. You know, it's, it's a matter of, of months and years that we will see that. So we need to be prepared. That's why um, I am stressing as much as I can to all the places that I go to talk about, you know, being prepared as being a better human being in all aspects, Absolutely. including pay, in, including peace. Absolutely. Dr. Diaz, it was an absolute honor talking to you, my man. That was fun. And I don't know what you're talking about earlier when you said you had to, you know, work on your English. You texted me. And you're, like, you're like, my English isn't great. So I was like, okay. Like, I just had on that guy from Ukraine. His English wasn't. Your English is fine. It's fi- it is fine. You, you, I mean, I mean, not, not fine. I mean, like, indistinguishable from my own. So you're a humble guy. You got nothing to worry about, man. Your English is perfect. It's fine. Absolutely. I got you know the <laughs> other thing before uh, before we we end this the great conversation and, and thank you so much for having me on. Oh, and I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna have you on again. Don't worry, we're gonna do another. I mean, one. thank you so much. But one of the biggest challenges, one of the biggest failures, and the biggest mistakes that how you know that still needs to be fixed going forward uh, on all this is uh, public health communication. We need more more speakers more doctors, more what I call biopolitics. Whenever you get the chance, Tommy, uh, try to uh, read about uh, a one of the best philosophers and thinkers of the last century, a guy uh, by the last name of, uh, first name Michel, last name Foucault. Foucault, Foucault. It's, it's, uh, he's a, he was a French uh, philosopher and psychologist, and he talked about biopolitics, that one of the one of the greatest lessons that I think humanity learned this past 24 to 26 months when the first case in Wuhan started it on December 19, 2019, was that the biggest, largest, and most precious commodity in life, it's not oil, it's not gas, it's not gold but it's health, Mm. number one commodity. So we need to change that aspect. We have to be more towards and and prone health than prone disease. More, um, I call it, this is not a healthcare system. This is a sick care system. So now we need to bring it to be, to to turn it to be a healthcare system now, the real healthcare system. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think brilliantly said um dr diaz i will i will text you i would love to have you on again sometime 
you're a cool guy. I like talking to you. And, thank you, uh, thank you, Tommy. Same yeah, here. Yeah. I, I, I see and feel the same. Thank you. So you're very you. young, very talented, and I see a bright future ahead oh, of you. Oh, you flattering, <laughs> flattering me. Thank you, sir. Um, I am going to pick up that book. Actually, I, I'm not kidding. I, I listen to an audio book a week. I have. I have to, or I'll go crazy. Oh, this and real Anthony, I have that downloaded. I have that downloaded. Yeah. yeah. You have to resist, and this is another one. Truth about COVID-19. Dr. Joseph, I'll write that one down. You're, you're going to like it a lot. And last but not least, you're going to love this book. It's in Spanish, but it's obviously, it's in English, the original version. It's a guy from Israel. I, from Israel, Jewish guy. I read that. Oh, my God. This is incredible yeah it's great i mean he he uh he was starting doing his research for this book in 2016 can you imagine and he was talking about the pandemic already yeah this yeah. is a futurist guy yeah. yeah so yeah definitely yeah so and, and let's say in touch tommy you have a friend here in el paso texas juarez mexico and uh Hell there's yeah. so many things to we didn't talk about we didn't talk much about the pandemic because there's a lot of information yeah, and good information talked. that I have. We but barely we will touched talk about that. that. Yeah, we barely touched. <laughs> we skimmed by it. We uh, just me. Uh, just, well, that's how this podcast goes. Is we I schedule a guest and we plan on talking about a topic, and then we don't go on. We end up just talking about the military and Bulgaria and whatever the hell. But that's why. Yes, I, yes. That's why I like it though. Um, yeah, no, we'll absolutely do that. And man. If, if you can actually, like, somehow put in a word to the president of El Salvador. I will do it for you, man. If you can do I'll that, man. Do that. If you can do that, I mean, holy cow. Holy shit. Um, I've uh, I've emailed a lot of heads of state before. I've never got a resp- I got a no from George Bush and a no from Obama. Putin never responded. I emailed him last year. And neither did Xi Jinping. Maybe I need to aim lower. But, uh... <laughs> Yeah, I shoot for the moon. You know, I I, re- I really think we can get we can get this interview. You're gonna love the guy. He's he's uh he's a thinker, man. He's a thinker. He's uh he's doing something amazing. Yeah, amazing. So you you watch out for El Salvador, that in the foreseeable future, it will be the place to be. Remember. Hell yeah. Well, let's get him on here. That would be. I'm going to start working on that interview. Okay. I will. If, and, if, and if you don't, I will. I mean, you've got my mind. You've got my gears turning now. All right. Yes, yes. Dr. Diaz, thank you so much, sir. God bless. Thank you for coming on. That was an awesome podcast. I will send it to you later this evening when it's uploaded. We'll schedule another. I will get those books and all that good stuff. And uh, thank you, Dr. McCullough, for putting us in touch. So uh, Definitely, definitely. Thank you so much. God bless you, Tommy. And, and thank you for the opportunity. Yes, sir. Thank you. Take care, everybody. Recording stopped. Peace.